I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've got a title on the board, and I'm going to try to explain some things to you. The Babylon and the flesh, they're one and the same. Let us make us a name as what Babylon was founded on. The love of money over here in First Timothy 6 and verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. If Babylon, according to Revelation 17 and 5, the Bible says Babylon was the mother mother of harlots of all harlotry harlot is the word is the word porne p o r n e porne and it comes from the word pornea it means idolatry 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 is the word e i d o L-O-L-A-T-R-E-I-A. Idololatria comes from the word ido, meaning to see or perceive. And latruo. Latruo, T-R-U-O, means to serve means to serve what you put into your eyes and your ears, what you see. And the Bible says covetousness. Covetousness. I'll get it right in a minute. Covetousness is idolatry and you can find that in this chapter here and the Bible says in Colossians 3 a covetous man is an idolater a covetous is the word pleonectes p-l-e-o-n E-K-T-E-S. And it means to want more. And the Bible says that that all started at Babylon who mothered, gave birth to, and nurtured all things that are evil. If the love of money is the root of all evil, then the love of money, love of money, would equal what Babylon mothered. And Babylon mothered all idol worship on one statement. They said, let us make us a name. You say, Jim, what does that mean? Name is the word Shem in the Greek. What they said was, let us make up our own authority. 
And the Bible says this they begin to do there in Genesis. In Genesis 11 and 4 and forward. Genesis 11, 4. This they begin to and now nothing Nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Man's imagination gets haywire when it goes into let me make up my own authority. What does that word name mean, authority? That's like a man saying, people in this town are going to know me. I sell real estate and I'm going to put my name everywhere and everybody's going to know who I am. And I'll put my signs over everywhere. I know what that's about because I did that in real estate. I'm going to have a name. And you've got to have a good name to have people dealing with you in business. And that's what I had. I had people dealing with me in business. That's like saying, I'm going to have a name in the music business. That's what I wanted. I was trying to get a hold of, but I wouldn't compromise. I wanted a name. I wanted everybody to look at me and give me a big applause. So that's having a name can be in business, can be in the music world, can be in the sports world. The Bible says if you are popular in the sports world and everybody likes you, the Bible says, Woe unto you when all men speak well of you. What are they going to? How are they going to speak well of you? They're going to speak well of your name. Woe unto you when all men speak well. Woe. Woe is the word. O U A I. If you're famous in the world and you got a real famous name and everybody likes you like they do the big country stars and the big pop stars. I like the big sports stars. Everybody from people like Tom Brady all the way down to that. If you're that famous and that popular, you're an enemy of God. That's the whole point. You're God's enemy. That's what the Bible says over there in James 4 and 4. You adulterers and adulteresses. It's not talking about literal adultery. It's talking about spiritual adultery, which is idolatry. It's going after other gods or feeding your eyes full of things that you're not supposed to be desiring. It's all for self. The Bible says you adulterers and adulteresses. No, you're not. That friendship with the world is enmity against God. Enmity is E-C-H-T-H-R-A. Ekthra means you're hostile to God. If you get along with the world and you've got a big name in the world and you're famous, first of all, if you're famous, that's exact opposite of being blessed by God. The Bible says, blessed are ye. You know, this frustrates, this frustrates a lot of young Christians. They say, well, look at them. They've got all these things in the world. Why can't I have them? You ever felt that way? Huh? Have you ever felt like that, Sheldon? Yeah. So have I. <laughs> Welcome to the same world I grew up in. Woe unto you, blessed are ye. Blessed are ye when men shall reproach you. Reproach is the word O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. It means to be infamous. 
Bless you to you. What makes you infamous is telling people the truth. Say Christmas is pagan, Easter's pagan. It's the same thing as Halloween and Mardi Gras in the ancient world and different cultures. Christmas, Mardi Gras, Halloween, and and Easter are all the same thing in different cultures of the ancient world. All the exact same thing. In fact, Mardi Gras is a seven-day festival where they killed the head of the the king of the Mardi Gras at the end of the festival. Christmas is a seven-day festival where they killed the king of the of the Saturnalia at the end of the festival. It's the same thing. So you're you're blessed. Makurios, M-A-K-U-R-I-O-S. Makurios means fortunate when you're reproached and you become infamous. I hope there's a lot of country stars that watch this. If you're famous, you know, God is, looks like God is blessing uh, Alan Jackson. Alan Jackson has come down with some kind of disease and he can't hardly get his balance and he say he cannot hardly sit in front of a microphone. Alan, you're being blessed. Maybe God will stop you from that heathen business you're in. Maybe you can't sit in front of a microphone. He said he's going to keep touring, but that's a blessing when God will stop you from seeking self. And that's all that is. Mary and I were riding down the road the other day, and she said, the music business is like a self-business, isn't it? I said, exactly. I know what it's about. There's no drug in the world that make you as high as getting on the stage and having a big crowd of thousand people roaring for your approval. I know what that's like. That is not anything godly about it. If your covetousness and you're and you're looking for wanting more, regardless of how you have to get it, that is idolatry. I want more carrots for my diamond ring. I want a bigger car. I need a new Cadillac every other year. I need a new house. If you want more of anything, if you do not learn to be content with such things as you have, then something is wrong with your life. I wanted to talk to you today about Babylon is the flesh. Because the Bible says God resists the proud. The proud has to do with the flesh. When the Bible says God resists the proud, resist us is the word A-N-T-I-T-A-S-S-O-M-A-I. That's the word resisteth. It means to wage war with. Wage war with. Now I want you to remind you of something that I told you over in Romans 7.25. There you have an outer man, an outer man that serves the law of the flesh. We've all done this, haven't we? Haven't you served your own flesh? Sure you have. 
The reason I know you have, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to me. I've done that a great majority in my life, and God had to beat me down and stop me from that. And he said, the inner man, which is Christ in you, serves the law of God. So when the Bible says, God resisted the proud, proud is the word huperephanos, H-U-P-E-R-E, P-H-A-N-O-S. Huperephanos comes from two words. Hooper, that's our word super, meaning above. Superman is above man. Hooper and phanos, P-H-A-I-N-O-S. Phanos means to shine. When you like to shine above others, you love to make yourself a name and you have a love of money. The word love of money is that word philogria, P-H-I-L-A-R-G-U-R-I-A, philogria. That's the word love of money. And it comes from philos, meaning an affection for. In fact, we get the word phileo from that. Philos and augury. A-R-G-U-R-Y. Philos means an affection for. We That comes from the word phileo, one of the words that's been ambiguously translated into the word love in the New Testament. And augury means shining or silver. The only reason people want silver, that was the standard rate of a, of currency back in the first century the only reason they want silver is because they can shine they can shine above others the bible says god resisteth the proud resisteth proud it comes from hoopere above and the finals meaning to shine the person who likes to shine above others with a bigger car and a bigger house and a bigger this and a bigger bank account those people God's at war with. I don't care how big the star is and I don't care where they are in California, out there in Hollywood. God's at war with people like Tom Cruise. He's at war with those big superstars like Clint Eastwood. Do they care about God? No, I don't believe that. If they did, they would say something about a David Cross and self-denial and death to self. There's always, always something in the paper about them or on all the magazines and how wonderful and big they are. They're not wonderful. Can you picture them plunging into hell when God picks them up and uses his right hand to cast them about a hundred miles an hour into hell? They're going to hell, all of them. You you believe that? Oh yeah. If they never talk about a daily cross, death to self, self-denial, and they don't talk about others rather than themselves. Anytime you watch a Johnny Carson show and he say, you're wonderful, yes, and you're wonderful, and they say, yes, and you're wonderful too. And we're all wonderful, aren't we? We're great. My latest movie is this. Well, let's see a scene from your latest movie, and it means nothing. It's just an act that they're putting on. I like the fact that Robert Mencham said if they'd give me the money to sweep the back of the stage, I'd rather do that than to act. I feel like I'm just putting on. And that's what James Conn said. He said, I just 
feel like I'm putting on something and I just feel ridiculous doing this. So he said, I go out and make money and then I go out and spend it and I go back and make some more with another movie. He said, it's just a game. And a lot of them feel that way. Mickey Rourke said the same thing. He said, it's just a game that we're playing. I couldn't... I couldn't walk into a room and say, well, hello, John, how are you doing? And start pretending. I couldn't do that. That's called a hypocrite. Hypocrite was the name of a stage actor, Hippocrates, in the first century. H-U-P-O-K-R-I-T-E-S. Meant an actor under an assumed character. This is the word judge. It means under, an actor under an assumed character. Hippocrates. Now, I really need to get to this thing about Babylon. Babylon is going to be destroyed. When Babylon is destroyed, what is going to be destroyed? The lust of the flesh. It's the flesh that's going to be destroyed. Now, we've said that... God resisteth the proud. Huperephanos means to shine above. And the love of money is philos, augury. It means a love of shining. So what God is going to destroy is the flesh or self. When Babylon goes down, we've talked about Babylon being destroyed in the Old Testament. When Babylon is destroyed, the thing that man loves most of all, which is himself, will be destroyed. And we've already seen in the Old Testament, we've seen Babylon being destroyed. And these are some of the places you can see her destruction. In Isaiah, the 13th chapter, the 14th chapter, Isaiah the 44th chapter, the 45th chapter, Daniel. Daniel, this is where Babylon goes down and Belshazzar's the ruler. In Daniel, the 5th chapter, and then in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the uh, 50th chapter, and the 51st chapter, this is all Babylon's destruction here. This is the end of Belshazzar, and they go down when, when uh, Persia attacks them. Persia is the same thing as Iran. Of course, this is different, under a different culture and government back then. Iran, Pakistan, Afghanistan, and all the stands. That was ancient Persia when they attacked Babylon and destroy them. And you're going to find this Babylon, the burning mountain. Burning mountain. You're going to find her burning in Revelation, the 8th chapter, and Revelation, the 18th chapter. You're going to see Babylon destroyed. She's going to do two things. She's going to sink into the sea. And when she sinks into the sea, she's going to be burned with fire. Burned with fire. And that'll be the end of the Babylonian system. We've tried to go through all these things. 
We see when Assyria carried northern Israel, this is nothing but northern Babylon. When Assyria carried northern Israel away into captivity, they assumed they could go down and attack southern Judah, which had not merited God's judgment yet. So God says, you can't do that. So what I'll do, I'll show you what I'll do to you. See, you, men cannot suffer God's judgment until God is ready. And when, when northern Israel, there's a question I'm going to answer, and I'm going to answer this for Dwayne. Dwayne asked me this. When you look at, when you look over here at Isaiah the 30th chapter, Isaiah 30. I'm going to talk about Babylon being destroyed. And when Babylon is destroyed, it's with fire. Now look here at Isaiah 30. Isaiah 30, he asked me, what is this talking about? I've done some extra studying on it. I haven't studied everything in detail. I knew this was about the destruction of Tophet. But what this is about, this is about Assyria attacking northern Israel. This is when this is happening. Let me erase some of this and put this on the board over here. This is about Assyria. Now, Assyria is up here between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. It's what we call Armenia, or it is the Georgia, the area of Georgia up in this area right here. Well, let me turn it back over to another map where it's clearer. It, this is the Caucasus Mountains. We get the word Gog from the word Caucasus. They just simply harden the consonants, Gog, Caucasus. And this is between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. And that is the area of northern Israel. Here's this northern Babylon. This would be Assyria mixed with Babylon here. And the... Now, the whether the fact that God said, because you kept going after these gods in the ancient world because you kept going after Bell in the Grove for 500 years under kings, 500 years, 510 years, something like that, because you kept going after them, I'm going to send the sword, the famine, the pestilence. He kept sending that over and over. He'd have no rain for famine. He'd send disease of all kinds. And he would send war against Israel without carrying them off. And then he said, the last thing I'll do, I'll send the beast. And you can see the beast in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13. And that is Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The reason it's called the beast is because Babylon was equated with a lion, since it's the most regal of all the ancient empires. The Persia was identified with the bear, and the bear is the largest carnivore, and the Persians had the largest armies that had ever existed. 
they'd attack some, they'd attack Carthage, there's 250,000 or 200, 2,500,000 soldiers that go against Carthage. And then Greece was the leopard and Rome was the beast with iron teeth iron teeth and it gobbled up these others just crossed them out and it was stronger than all the rest then southern Judah northern Israel was carried away captive by the Assyrians when the Assyrians came in here and attacked northern Israel they presumed they could go down here into southern Judah at the same time this was in 722 BC but southern Judah had not come to a place of the idolatry of northern Israel so God says you can't go down here and attack Judah they tried they did one of the most stupid things that any nation could have done the king of the king of, of the Assyrians at this time was Sennacherib S-C-N-N-A-C-R-I-B that was in 722 B.C. And he presumed that he could go down here and attack southern Judah in 722 B.C. But southern Judah had to be polluted by, gosh, it's a long story, had to be polluted by uh, Ahab having brought Baal in the grove into northern Israel. Ahab is the, well, I need this map over here. Ahab is the king of northern Israel and when you look at these I'll just put it over here so you can see it the, the king of northern Israel was Ahab at this point Ahab right here and his he married Jezebel of the Zidonians and when he, and she brought her gods down into northern Israel and made her gods and goddesses uh, the the uh, the gods of northern Israel and I call it the Christmas gods is what it was the same thing and then their daughter Athaliah uh, due to Ahab running around with Jehoshaphat and and Jehoshaphat was a good man other than he's got the wrong kind of friends and Ahab and he and uh, and somehow his sons. Uh, his daughter, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, sees and runs into Jehoram, the the son of Jehoshaphat, and she marries Jehoram, then she goes down into southern Judah and takes her gods with her, and that's when they get polluted. Well, as of this point, in 722, southern Judah had not become polluted with this idolatry yet, but they would in the future. So, so when, when Sennacherib decides to attack northern Israel, that was by the will of God. And he was going to carry them off into captivity up here into, into what we would call Armenia, or it was up here in northern section of Iran, and he carried him captive up there. He presumed that he could go down here into southern Judah and attack at the same time southern Judah in 722 B.C. But you can't do that. It's not time for southern Judah to fall. 
not till they get polluted and corrupted by Athaliah's gods that she brought down into the southern Judah. And that doesn't happen until the future, 150 years later, somewhere in that neighborhood. So, I'm going to try to show you what this chapter's about. When you look at the 30th chapter of Isaiah, the 30th chapter you go to, you go to, let's just start reading here in the 27th verse. Behold, the name of the Lord cometh from far, burning with his anger. Now, burning is very, very important. Because northern Babylon is Assyria. And I believe burning means he's going to set on fire. Burning. I keep saying when Babylon is destroyed, she's called a burning mountain. A mountain was a capital city. And God's anger is burning. And on the and on the burden thereof is heavy. His lips are full of indignation. His tongue as a devouring fire. So this is God. This is the... I've, I've looked in some of my commentaries and this is the exact same timing as when Sennacherib attacks northern Israel. But that's in God's plan for them to be carried away because they're the ones who Ahab marrying Jezebel, bringing all these Baal and tree goddesses, the grove down into northern Israel and making northern Israel a Christmas nation because later on it's brought into the church and renamed the Christ Mass. Now, let's keep reading here. So notice God's word is a burning fire. This has the same time period as when as when northern Israel is being attacked by Sennacherib. Now, keep reading. You shall have a song as in the night when a holy solemnity is kept and gladness of heart. Who's having a glad heart? That would be Israel because God's going to deliver Israel from Sennacherib and his gigantic army. He's got 185,000 men that's going to be killed in one night by the death angel. And this, I made the same mistake as a lot of people. I assumed, which I tell you not to assume anything, I assumed that God was going to attack Israel from the north or particularly from the fish gate on the eastern side because Zephaniah talks about Israel collapsing by the fish gate. Israel had a gate on every side of the city, depending on what they sold there. They sold fish over here because that was closer to the Mediterranean Sea. And then they would sell dung down here. That was close to the Valley of Tophet. And Tophet is where they would go just south of Jerusalem. Just south of Jerusalem, Israel would go down there. And the same day that they would go and worship God, they would go and offer one of their children in the fire to Molech, 
down in Tophet. Tophet, the valley of Tophet went all the way across. It was called Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A. And Gehenna was the valley of Hinnom, and the man named Hinnom had dedicated all that to Jerusalem. They put all the dead bodies, criminals over here, dead bodies of criminals on this southwest end, and they had the worship of Tophet, the fire that never went out, and where they worshiped Moloch just southeast of Jerusalem. So this is talking about this is where Sennacherib came down and tried to attack Jerusalem at the wrong time. It wasn't time for southern Israel to fall. But he said, as long as we're attacking up here, let's go down here and attack down here. Wrong. So let's read the rest of this. And the Lord shall cause his glorious voice to be heard and shall show the lightning down of his arm. He keeps talking about lightning and burning. So as Sennacherib is attacking, he's going to burn them just like he burns Babylon, a burning mountain. With indignation and his anger, with the flame of a devouring fire, Babylon was called a burning. God says, I'm going to make you a burnt mountain. You've been a proud mountain. And you're proud because you said, let us make us a name. That's why you're proud. Make up your own doctrine. That's what we live in a world of Babylon now. I don't know if I'll be able to get to that destruction of Babylon in that 18th chapter of Revelation. But I'm going to try to get to that in the next couple of weeks with flame and with devouring fire, with scattering and tempest and hailstones. For though the voice of the Lord shall, through the voice of the Lord shall the Assyrian be beaten down with fire. Because he's talking about the fire in the previous verses and, and talking about the devouring fire in verse 27. And he's talking about burning Assyria. And this is when Sennacherib is attacking. Then he says, And in every place where the grounded staff shall pass, which the Lord shall lay upon him, it shall be tabrets and harps, and the battles of shaking will he fight with it. For Tophet, that's the valley. That's where they burn their children in the fire. They called it Tophet. It comes from the word Toph. Top is the word drum. They said they beat the drum so hard and so loud that it drowned out the it drowned out the the screams of their children screaming as they were burning them in the fire. For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, for the king it is prepared. What king is that? Sennacherib. This goes with Second Kings, the 18th and 19th chapters. It talks about Sennacherib attacking, trying to attack southern Judah. He did one of the worst mistakes a man could make. He tried to attack Judah, and all they had was about 7,000 soldiers. He had at least 185,000 men. At least that we know. And he tried to attack 
southern Judah, and they had two men that you don't want to attack. They had Hezekiah, one of the most righteous kings that ever lived in the world in southern Judah. And they had Isaiah, one of the most righteous prophets that ever lived. And Sennacherib thinks, I will go down and attack them wrong. That's something you just don't do. And then he says, For Tophet is ordained of old, yea, King Sennacherib. It is prepared. It was prepared ahead of time for Sennacherib. God not only knew what he was going to do, he ordained it. He hath made it deep and lords the pile thereof is fire and much wood. The breath of the Lord hath like a stream of brimstone both kindled it. Now, I want us to look at another chapter that's talking about this man attacking. Look at Second Kings. When you're reading Isaiah or Jeremiah, they will repeat something several times. Remember I told you that Isaiah talked about Babylon being taken down in Isaiah 13, Isaiah 14, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 45, Isaiah uh, Jeremiah 51, Jeremiah 51, 50 and 51. All of these are about the same thing happening. Isaiah will tell you the same things, and just and you'll get you'll get the answer for these guys in the books of the Kings, from First Samuel to Second Chronicles. Look over here. This is the same idea in the 18th chapter. This is where Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, is coming in, and he's going to attack northern Israel. Let's read here in verse 1, chapter 18 of Second Kings. And it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel. Hoshea, when you look at this map over here, you'll see Hoshea is the last king of northern Israel. It's talking about that man there. That's the year 722 when they're taken out. He thinks, Mr. Sennacherib thinks, as long as I'm here, let's just go down to southern Judah and attack them. 722 B.C. It's not for, they have not polluted themselves yet to the degree they need to be brought down, but they will be as soon as Israel gets involved in Athaliah's godless worship. Now, so let's continue reading here. Hezekiah, the king of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And I love verse 5. Speaking of, of, of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, verse 5, so that after Hezekiah was done like him among all the kings of Judah, nobody was ever as righteous as Hezekiah, nor any were before him. Now, Sennacher was coming down to attack. Verse 7, And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. 
So the king, Ezekiah, would not serve. He's the king of southern Judah. He will not serve Sennacherib, the Assyrian king. And he smote the Philistines, even unto Gaza, and the border thereof, from the, power, from the tower of the watchman to the fence city. And then down here in verse 11, And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria. That's northern Israel, but that's not all they did. They moved in. When they came in and attacked and carried them away to northern Israel, carried them away to Assyria, they came in and carried them to Syria, but a lot of the soldiers moved in and started bringing their sun and tree gods into northern Israel. And when they did that, God says, that's it. And they mixed Jehovah worship with sun and tree worship. That's why Jesus told the woman at the well of Jacob's well in northern Israel, he meets her in John 4 and says, you worship, you know not what. What you've got is some of these Baal and Grove worship mixed with Jehovah worship, and you don't even know what he is. Now, I don't need to go any further than that. Now, let's keep reading. In verse 11, the king of Assyria, which was, they had several kings. This this deportation from northern Israel went on from 732 B.C. to 722 B.C. And you had several kings of Assyria. You had Shalmaneser. You had Tiglath-Pileser. He would, what a name. I wouldn't want that kind of a name. You go to school, in elementary school, and they'd call you Tiggy. Tiglath-Pileser. Sometimes he was called Tilgath-Pilneser. But that was a pagan king. Then he had Shalmaneser and then he had Sennacherib. Sennacherib is the man that's in charge of the Assyrian army when these things are going on right here. And he's saying, I'll get northern Israel and I'll so, while I'm at it, I'll go down here and carry away southern Judah. That's exactly what that 30th chapter of Isaiah is about because Isaiah is the king right here. And Isaiah is the prophet right here and Hezekiah is the king. And then he says, verse 12, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God. That's why he's there. God is using an evil man to bring about Judah's destruction, or Israel's destruction. Is he going to destroy him? No. He's going to have them carried away captive. And the ten northern tribes is northern Israel that's led by Ephraim. Anytime you see God judging, bring judgment on Ephraim, you'll see his name mentioned all through the book of Hosea, how God is bringing judgment on Ephraim. Northern Israel, that's the second born of Joseph, and Ephraim was given the inheritance of all of Israel through his father Joseph. Now, Let's keep reading this. Now in the 14th, verse 13, Now in the 14th, 14th year of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib, we've been talking about him, king of Assyria come up against the fenced cities of Judah and took them. The fenced cities means all the cities around Jerusalem. Those, this guy was so powerful Nobody could stop him. 
He was the most powerful king in the world. This is before Babylon rises up. Now in the 14th year of King of King Hezekiah did Sennacherib king of Assyria come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. Everything that's around Judah, he's got them. And Hezekiah king of Judah sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish. He sent to Sennacherib saying, I have offended. Return from me that which thou puttest on me will I bear. And the king, what he's saying, tell me what you want from me in the way of tribute money. Tribute was like taxes. It was like toll money to live in the in the Syrian kingdom. So, hold on a second. My nose is running. I know I'm not supposed to do some guy told me that. He said, don't blow your nose while you're teaching. Okay. All right. Now, where was I? Verse 14 of chapter 18 of Second Kings. Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria to Lachish. That's Hezekiah sent the message to Sennacherib, saying, I've offended. Return from me. That which thou puttest on me will I bear. Tell me what I owe you, Sennacherib. And the king of Assyria appointed unto Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver, a lot of silver, and 30 talents of gold. You owe me that for being your protector. That's what these, that's what these uh, taxes were for. It was tax to be your protection. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord, in the treasures of the king's house. At that time did Hezekiah cut off the, the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord. He felt obligated to Sennacherib, so he's going to try to cooperate. Sennacherib's got this huge army. He's, he's conquered everything around Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a little sleepy city sitting there by itself, and this magnificent army is surrounding them. And they don't have a chance. Verse 17. And the king of Assyria sent Tartan and Rabsaris and Rabshakeh. The Rabshakeh was the chief butler, the chief wine taster of the Assyrian king Sennacherib. From Lachish to King Hezekiah with a great host against Jerusalem. They're surrounded. Jerusalem doesn't have a chance. There's no chances with God. And but they've got they've got two things that Sennacherib didn't know they had: Isaiah and Hezekiah, two of the most righteous men that ever lived. You don't attack that. Let me tell you something else. You don't attack. You don't attack a man that's telling the truth like yours truly. If you do, you'll pay. And they went up and came to Jerusalem, and when they were come up, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is in the highway of the fuller's field. And when they had called to the king, there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, 
he sends his son out there, Eliakim, to get the message. Hezekiah's not going to go out there by himself in front of the in front of the foreign king, which was over the household and Shebna the scribe and Joah the son of Asaph the recorder. And Rabshakeh said unto them, "This is the representative of Sennacherib." Rabshakeh said unto them, "Speak ye now to Hezekiah." Thus saith the great king Sennacherib. You just opened your mouth, Buster, that you shouldn't have done. You'll die for that. And the king of Assyria, what confidence is this? Then you trust. You're going to trust in your God. He was not going to get you out of this. We've conquered everybody around you. Thou sayest, but they are but vain words. I have counsel and strength for the war. Now on whom dost thou trust that thou rebellest against me? Who are you trusting, Israel? You rebellest against the great king and that's me? This guy's an idiot, isn't he? You got to picture Jerusalem, little bitty town, little sleepy town with nobody but Hezekiah. And Isaiah, that's like having two big, huge atomic bombs there. And behold, thou trustest upon the staff of this bruised reed, Hezekiah. He calls Hezekiah and Isaiah a bruised reed. It will break and bend when we get ready. Even upon Egypt, you're going to trust in and the Egyptian Pharaoh to pull you out of this, he is no match for me, he says. And if a man lean, it will go through his hand. That's exactly what the king of Egypt is to you. And pierce it, so is the Pharaoh king of Egypt unto all those that trust in him. But if you say unto me, we trust in the Lord our God, is not that he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah hath taken away and has said to Jerusalem, Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar Jerusalem. Now therefore I pray thee, give pledges to my Lord, the king of Assyria. Pledge your allegiance to him and to Baal in the grove and all these sun and tree gods. And I will deliver thee 2,000 horses if thou be able on thy part to set riders upon them. Now, then wilt thou turn away the face of one captain of the least of my master's servants and put thy trust on Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. The Pharaoh don't think he's going to deliver you. Do you think that Hezekiah and Isaiah has any idea about the king of Pharaoh of Egypt? That's what he's. That's what Sennacherib's accusing them of, and that's not what they're trusting in. They're trusting in Jehovah God. And now, come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it. The Lord said to me, "Go up against this land and destroy it." I believe that. I believe you said that, Sennacherib. But Sennacherib is lying about doing some good. Then said Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the, the king, and Shebna and Joah and Rabshakeh, 
Speak, I pray thee, to thy servant in the Syrian language, for we understand it. We're Syrians. Talk to us in Syrian dialect. And talk not with us in the Jews' language in the ears of the people that are on the wall. We don't the people hearing what is being said here because they'll get afraid the Jews it's just a small town left but Rabshakeh the chief wine taster of Sennacherib said unto them hath my master sent me to thy master and to thee to speak these words hath he not sent me to the men which sit on the wall that they may eat their own drunk and drink their own piss with you <laughs> what he is saying he's getting very crude he's saying we got you surrounded we can, we can sit here until you have nothing to drink and nothing to eat. You'll drink your own urine and you'll eat your own dung. And that's what they did. God said, I'll send a famine like you wouldn't believe. <coughs> then Rabshakeh, this representative of Sennacherib, stood and cried with a loud voice in the Jewish language and spake, saying, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. That's me. Listen to me. This guy's a boisterous, loud mouth. Just utterly ridiculous. Then said the king, Let not Hezekiah deceive you. Let not this super righteous man deceive you. Boy, that guy is a big mouth, isn't he? <laughs> Hezekiah's not going to deceive anybody. For ye shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. And this city shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. It will happen. Hearken not to Hezekiah, thus saith the king of Assyria, make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, every man of his own fig tree. If you'll surrender to me, you'll have your own fig tree, you'll have your own house, I'll let you stay here, and you'll do it my way and serve my gods. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. And drink ye every one the waters of his cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land and a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive oil and honey. And you may live and not die, but if you don't surrender to me and worship my God, you're going to die, Sennacherib says. Boy, this guy is one arrogant, ungodly man, isn't he? <laughs> I'd hate to be in his shoes when God gets through with him. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuaded you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered all of his land out of the hand of king of Syria, Sennacherib? Nobody's been able to deliver them. He is too powerful. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? They're not Jehovah God, Dodo.
We're talking about Jehovah God, the God of Hezekiah, and the God of Isaiah. You hadn't, you haven't connected with Him yet, have you? The gods of Sarabarim, Havna, and Eva, but these are all pagan gods you're talking about, Sennacherib. Have they delivered Samaria, northern Israel, out of mine hand? No, I captured Samaria, northern Israel. I've done that, and I'm going to do it to you. But what a what an arrogant story this man is. Because this goes on for two chapters here. I've got to read all of it to tell you about this man. This man, Sennacherib, was a jerk. He does nothing but brag about himself. You know what he had done? He had made himself a name. He had a love of money and power. He thinks he could whip everybody. And he can't accept Isaiah and Hezekiah. You can't beat them. May I add, if Jim Brown is telling the truth, you can't whip him either. I just think it's funny the way people talk to me. Who are they among all the gods of the countries that I that have delivered their country out of mine hand? But you've been fighting the gods of countries that didn't believe in Jehovah God, you idiot. That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? Boy, he is certainly presumptuous, isn't he? This guy is one of the most godless men in all the Bible. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word. For the king's commandment was saying, answer him not. Don't give him an answer. Sounds like Jesus standing before Pilate, doesn't it? Won't you answer me? Don't you know I've got the power to crucify you? I can destroy you. Just like Sennacherib thought he could destroy Jerusalem. But he couldn't. Then came Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, the king of southern Israel, which was over the household in Shibna, the scribe, and the son of Asaph, the recorder to Hezekiah, with their clothes rent and told him the words of the Rabshakeh of Sennacherib. Now, we're going to go through this 19th chapter to see what happens to Israel. And he sent, and Hezekiah heard it and rent his clothes in verse 1. Verse 2 of chapter 19, he sent Eliakim, which was over the household, and Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priest, and covered with sackcloth, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, The day is a day of trouble, and of rebuke and blasphemy, for the children come to birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. We don't have enough men in Jerusalem to fight this man, Sennacherib. But God says, I do. There's a fire waiting for Sennacherib in this land. It may be that the Lord God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, his master, has sent to reproach the living God and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. There's just a few people left in Jerusalem. 
He's already taken all the cities around Jerusalem. Sennacherib is a man to be afraid of if all you are is a human with no God to protect you. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. (laughs) That's the man to go to. Isaiah is the guy that can give you a miracle. He'll go to God. They go to Isaiah. Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall you say to your master, Thus saith the Lord, Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard. Don't pay any attention to this loud mouth Sennacherib. I don't care how many is in his army. That's what Isaiah says to him. With which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. They've cut down the words of God. They have paid no attention. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor and shall return to his own land, and will, I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. He's going to die, God says. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Lebanon, for he had heard that he was departed from Lachish. And when he heard say, Terhaka, king of Ethiopia, bold, he is come out to fight against thee. He sent messengers again unto Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Let not thy God in whom thou trustest deceive you. Don't let this Jehovah deceive you, Hezekiah. He's not going to deliver you. Saying, Jerusalem shall not be delivered into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't believe it when you hear that. I'm too big, I'm too powerful, I'm the most powerful king in the world. I will get you, Jerusalem. This is exactly what that's talking about in the last verses of the 30th chapter of Isaiah. It's a fire that's going to come out of the mouth of God and devour this Assyrian king. Behold, thou hast heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by destroying them utterly, and shalt thou be delivered? You think you're going to get away from me? I'm the bully of all bullies. Nobody can get out of my hand, Sennacherib says. Have the gods of the nations delivered them which my fathers have destroyed as Gozan and Haran and Rezpah? Yes, but their God was not Jehovah God. And the children of Eden which were in Thelassar. Then jump down here to verse 15. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims in the inner sanctuary. Thou art the God, even thou alone. All of the kingdoms of the earth thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Boy, what 
I might mention that when you reproach me and I'm saying the truth and you're out there watching on TV or on the internet, you're in for the time of your life by trying to stop this ministry. God will stop you. Of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods. Those are not gods. They couldn't deliver them. But the work of man's hands, wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. There's only one God, and that's you, Jehovah. This is the prayer of Hezekiah. Save us from this maniac. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against the Narcob king of Assyria, I've heard you. I'll deliver you. And it looks impossible. When you're, when you're fighting the impossible odds of life and it looks like you can't win, when you're completely committed to God like Hezekiah and Isaiah, you'll win. But you have to be committed to Him. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning Him. Him is Sennacherib. The virgin, the daughter of Zion. A daughter was a city. Jerusalem is the daughter of Zion. Hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. And the daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee, hissing at you. That means to make fun of. Whom, he hath, whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed and against whom thou hast exalted thy voice and lifted up thy eyes on the high, even against the Holy One of Israel? By thy messengers thou hast reproached the Lord. That's what Rabshakeh has done coming over here to give a message to the Eliakim on the wall. You've reproached God. Then get on down here to verse 25. Hast thou not heard long ago how I have done it in ancient times that I have formed it and I have brought it to pass that thou shouldest be to lay waste fenced cities into ruined heaps? Therefore thy inhabitants were of small power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were of the grass of the field as a green herb which can't stand the grass on the housetops as corn blasted before it to be grown up. Then he tells you what God is going to do to Assyria and Sennacherib. He's going to burn them with fire just like he did Babylon. But I know thy abode and thy going out and thy coming in and thy rage against me because they, thy rage against me and thy tumult has come up in mine ears. This is God speaking. I've heard what you said, Sennacherib. Boy, you've got to picture Jerusalem, just a little bitty city, just a little town. And the great king 
has surrounded it with armies. And he's conquered all these villages around it. And he says, you can't win. They didn't win. He says, I'm the greatest king alive in the world today. Because thy rage against me. Because thy rage against me and thy tumult, verse 20, verse 28, has come up in mine ears, therefore I will put my hook in thy nose. That's what the pagans would do. They would put a hook in the nose of man, put a hook in their jaw, put some kind of a chain and cut off their great toes and their great thumbs. That way they could never hold a weapon. God says, I'm going to do that to you, Sennacherib. For this guy's one arrogant man. He doesn't know who he's fighting. He's not fighting these two men, Isaiah and Hezekiah. He's fighting the living God. I will turn thee back by the way which thou camest. You're going back to where you came from, Sennacherib. And thus shall be a sign unto thee, and you shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves, and the second year that which springeth up the same, and in the third year sow ye and reap and plant vineyards, and eat the fruits thereof. That's what's going to go on in Israel. You're not taking over. And the remnant that is escaped from the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, which is Jerusalem. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, Sennacherib himself, Here's my judgment against you, boy. He shall not come into this city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before this little town of Jerusalem with shield, nor cast a bank against it. He's got, Jerusalem's got me on their side. This is God talking. And by the way, he came by the same shall Sennacherib return and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. God says, I will defend this city. How would you like to be fighting against God? That's what, that's what Sennacherib's fighting against. He's got two super righteous men, Hezekiah and Isaiah. You don't attack them. For I will defend this city and save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Verse 35 tells you the action of God against Sennacherib. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians Sennacherib and company and hundred and fourscore and five thousand men, a hundred and eighty-five thousand in one night, 
probably Michael the death angel the same thing that happened in Israel in the 24th chapter of 2nd Samuel when the death angel went down to Israel and killed 70,000 in one night what you're fighting against is Michael that's better than karate and he killed 185,000 when they arose early in the morning behold they were all dead corpses now what you going to do now, Sennacherib? Your fighting army is dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh, the capital city of Syria, on the Tigris River. And it came to pass, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, that Adrimelech and Sherezer his son smote him with the sword. Oh, Sennacherib gets his, doesn't he? I believe when the death angel came down, he burnt that man's armies with a burning. And I believe this happened in the valley of Tophet. That's where he attacked Israel from. I thought since Assyria was up here, I just assumed they'd have to attack from the top, but evidently he came down here and attacked in the valley of Tophet, attacked Jerusalem, and God says, I lit that fire. And smote him with the sword, and they escaped in the land of Armenia, and Ashurhaddon, and his son reigned in his stead the end <laughs> the end of Sennacherib this was with a fire and you'll find this same story in Isaiah 37 3 and 6 Isaiah 31 and 8 look at Isaiah 31 that's because see Isaiah's the king here in 2 Kings and Isaiah's the as he's the prophet when you go to Isaiah 31 Isaiah 31 it's still Isaiah so you're going to find these stories about Isaiah Isaiah 31 and 8 31 and 8 verse 8 then shall the Assyrian fall with the sword and not of a mighty man and the sword not of the mean man, and shall devour him, and he shall flee from the sword, and his young men shall be discomfited, and he shall pass over to his stronghold for fear, and his princes shall be afraid of the ensign, saith the Lord, whose fire is in Zion. Boy, God says, I will burn with fire. And his furnace in Jerusalem, he keeps talking of fire and a furnace because he's going to destroy Babylon as a burning mountain. And then he says here in 37 and 36 of Isaiah. You see, when you're reading the Kings and you're reading about Isaiah being the prophet during the days of Hezekiah, you've got to look in the book of Isaiah and see what he has to say. 37 and verse 36 37 this tells the whole story one more time and verse 36 
Then the angel of the Lord went forth and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and fourscore and five thousand, a hundred and eighty-five thousand of the soldiers of the Sennacherib's army. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. You come up against this is the dead, the burning that happens to the Assyrians in that valley of Tophet as they attack Jerusalem. It's that king is what it's about. Now, we're talking about the destruction. How much time do you have, Mike? I'm not going to get to all these guys. I'm going to talk to you about the total destruction of Jerusalem. It is a burning mountain. You'll find that mountain burning. The Bible says Jerusalem was a proud mountain. It was proud because it said, let us make us a name. They had a love of money. God is against people, famous people, who are, want everybody to look at them, give me applause. I know what that's like. I've been on stage and gotten applause. I said, and all I could think of was, i got to do this again. That's all I ever thought of. So I could get the glory. Because I'm trying to make myself a name. I have a love of money. I wanted to lift up myself. Now, I want to get to that last chapter of Revelation, but in order to get to it, I've got to explain some things. I was going to get into the kings of the East today. I don't think I'm going to have time to get into that. The thing about Revelation you have to understand, go back to Revelation, the first chapter. Everything in Revelation is a sign, a simeon. That's the word sign when they'd say, give us a sign. When the Pharisees came to Jesus in Matthew 16 and said, give us a sign that you're from God. And Jesus said, there'll be no sign given you but the sign of the prophet Jonah, that is resurrection. That's the only sign you get. It's the sign of the prophet Jonah. You have to see that in a man and see Christ resurrecting in a man. But you can't see it and hear it unless God gave you seeing eyes and hearing ear. Now, you have to... I may just kind of try to introduce you to what I'm going to say next time about signs in Revelation. This book is not hard to study if you understand the word sign. The word sign is the word semiao, S-E-M. E-I-O-O. M-E-I-O-N. Simeon is the word sign. Give us a sign. The signs I said before of Jesus healing 
was not for the sake of the people being healed. It was for, it was a sign to prove who Jesus was. So he could be approved among people that he was from God. When you look at the first verse of Revelation, this is going to tell you something that you've got to understand. The revelation of Jesus Christ, not the revelations, not plural, the one apocalypto. Or revelations apocalypsis, A-P-O-K-A-L-U-P-S-I-S. We say the word apocalypse, A-P-O, C-A-P, L-Y-S-E. That's what is translated to English. It's from apo and calupto. Apo means a removal of the cover. This is not a book that's mysterious as everybody's made it. You have to know something about the Old Testament to understand this book. Because what that word sign is, when it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And the way he's going to show these things, and he sent and signified it, signified. You notice the word signifies, S-I-G-N-I-F-I-E-D. Notice the word signified is, has the word sign in it. Signified is this word semi-o, S-E-M-E-I-O-O-S-E-M-E-I-O-O. And it, and it comes from this word semion. It means a sign. Now, what is a sign? It's a pointer. you're driving down the road and you see a building and it says Goodyear it don't mean you're going to have a good year it just means we sell tires here that's all it means tires if you see Firestone it means we sell tires here too Firestone that means it's a tire store if you see a track if you see this this is all a sign. It points to tires over here. If you see this track here, and you see this cross up here, and it's got some little red lights here, and it's got a pole here, and it's got a little, it's got a little place that comes down when there's something coming down that this is a sign when you hear those hear that click ding 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 and you see those things blinking that's a sign there's a train coming don't cross there that's a simeon that's the word sign in the bible so he's saying Everything I'm going to talk to you about is pointers throughout this whole book. What's it pointers about? It's pointing to the Old Testament, to the Jews and what they did and the things that happened. Everything in this book. 
I've said this so many times. I hope you can get a hold of it. In the first chapter here, you got seven golden candlesticks. Candlesticks. Well, where's the first time you heard about that? Maybe Exodus. The 25th chapter when the Lord is telling Moses to build all the furniture of the temple. Everywhere you find the golden candlesticks, it has the basic same meaning. It's a pointer. And you got them all through here. You got seven candlesticks and they represent the seven churches of Asia. That's why I keep saying the book of Revelation is a Jewish book. You have to understand that. You have to know something about the Old Testament to understand how to interpret this book. When you've got, well, I've said this a thousand times. You've got Christ standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, and he's got seven stars in his right hand. What does that mean? We'll tell you what it means in the last verse of this first chapter. He talks about the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. He talks about the seven churches, which are Ephesus in Asia. Asia is Western Turkey. You have to know that. Western Turkey is Asia Minor. Oh, here. It's, it don't do any good to say in Asia unless you know it's not talking about the Far East. It's talking about the Middle East. And Western Turkey was called Asia Minor. And you had a state right in the middle of that that was called Galatia. Galatia was a state. Ephesus was a city. You have to learn these things. Then he says, he, he talks you, to you about trumpets in verse 10 I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet you have to understand that trumpets were voices that's what they were for that's what they're for in the military when you hear da -da 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 -da, that's charge it's, you're in battle charge the enemy that trumpet tells you what to do if you hear, I went to military school, and you hear da 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 da. I heard that every morning. That's reveille. It's time to get up and meet formation and go to chow. That's what it's for. If you hear taps at night, it's time to go to bed. All a trumpet is is a voice telling people what's happening. That's it. It says that in the 14th chapter of 1 Corinthians, if a trumpet has, if it doesn't have a certain sound, how's men going to know what to do? They're not. How do you sound off to a whole troop of men, <laughs> two or three hundred men, with anything except a trumpet? They didn't have sound systems back then. <coughs> then he says. And he talks about these seven churches, Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And then he says, I turned and saw a 
voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. There's Jewishness. And you see, Jesus with seven stars in his right hand in verse 16. Every time you see a right hand, it means the hand of authority. That's a pointer, a simeon. Then when you get down to verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and, and the seven golden candlesticks, I'm going to tell you what they are. The seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. It doesn't mean a heavenly creature. Angel is the word angelos, A-G-G. E-L-O-S. Messenger is the word. All the preachers were called angels or messengers in the first century. Take the word angel and throw it out of your Bible and put messenger in there. It can be Michael, a heavenly angel, or Gabriel, the killing angel. The one probably went down and killed all that army of Sennacherib. Or it can be you or me, if as long as we're a messenger. You can be an evil angel with an evil message. Or you can be a righteous angel with a righteous message. I don't know why preachers don't say that to people. Maybe people quit imagining they see angels at the end of their bed. <laughs> it's funny to me. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in the right hand of the Christ and the seven candlesticks. The seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So wherever you've got this, and the oil in the candlesticks brought about the light. Gosh, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. When you've got seven candlesticks, here they are right here. Seven candlesticks. The oil in there gives you the light. That's... The candlesticks are not worth anything unless you've got oil inside the candlesticks. That's what makes, and the oil is a picture, the type of the Holy Spirit. That's a pointer. That's one of the pointers. It, this is not like how Lindsay says or Jack Bennett, Wimpy. They'll tell you, they'll make up some wild stories. It's not wild, it's just you have a light, in, you have oil inside the candlesticks. Do I have any time, Mike? Well, I'm not going to get much further. I'm going to get you into... I'm going to get into the destruction of Babylon. But the destruction of Babylon has to do with drying up the Euphrates. Drying Euphrates. And you're going to see the Euphrates, the spiritual Euphrates, drying up in Revelation 16. And you're going to see the Old Testament picture of the Euphrates drying up in Isaiah 44 and 45. That's where you're going to get the answers to the Euphrates drying up. And you have to know that the Euphrates is the largest river in that part of Asia. And it supplied supplies to all of the nations around this area and it was over 1200 miles long and it was very important some places they said it was well over a mile wide I can't imagine a river like that it supplied the world with all of its goods 
You have to know that. To know why is it dried up. It's dried up at the very end of time when Cyrus, when Darius, and when Artaxerxes give the give the Israel the give Israel the decrees to go back and rebuild the, the temple and the city. And that ha- and we're the temple of God. I'm gonna have to go into that and go very slow through the whole thing. I thought I was gonna get to that today. I really wanted you to see Sennacherib. What an evil, wicked man he was. Thought he could fight God. When you think you can fight God, you're fighting the wrong person. You can't fight God. And people can say, well, uh, my God is one over here that believes all this stuff. You're just like all those those people that Sennacherib said he conquered. Just because you can make up a God that you worship like Pentecostalism don't mean it's right because it's not. You can make up a God like the Baptist worship, one that accepts Christ and prays the sinner's prayer for salvation. That's not true. You have to believe and obey God. I'm going to have to stop here. I really want to go through Revelation and show you the pictures. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. God, we pray that you'll give us strength to understand your word. Lord, help us to understand everything that you have laid out for us here. I pray for an understanding of these things. God, help us. Help the church, Lord, and open up doors for this ministry and give me strength to say the things that need to be said to your predestinated elect family. These people that want to fight me over these truths, Lord, stop them in their tracks just like you stopped Sennacherib. And we'll praise you and glorify you for everything. Fight our battles in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I hope you know who Sennacherib is now. He's one of my own most unfavorite people. <laughs>